Hi, I'm Heidi Harriet. Welcome to Doggone Good Information. And also welcome my co-host, Tommy Fahey. Hi, Tommy. Hi, Heidi. It's great to be here. Always enjoy our uh, conversations. Yes, for sure. I'm looking forward to today's episode and today's guest. Yeah, we have another guest, so that's exciting, yes. Uh, yeah. A couple things that came my way this week that I thought were interesting. One, the federal government, interestingly, has stepped in and said that dogs can eat on patios across the United States. I believe oh. prior they left it to the uh, states to decide. And okay. then if the state allows it, the actual restaurant could still decide how they want to handle it. But okay. the federal government came in and said, uh, uh, your dogs are allowed on patios. It's not a health, uh, health department concern. And about okay. half of the states already allowed it. So about half of the states already allowed it. So kind of interesting. Again, the restaurant could say they don't want to do it, other than service dogs, as we know. Service dogs right. are always allowed. So just interesting. So, I, I thought it was interesting. Yeah, and there's no, uh, they're not stipulating on the national level that it's specifically service dogs. It's any dog. Yeah, any dog correct? on an outside seating. And okay. I don't think, you know, and I don't know if that's a state level. They're not allowed to be up, up at the table or sitting on the chairs or the bench or such. But okay. yeah, so I, I'm not, I, it's interesting. I, I bring it up because I'm not exactly sure what it's aiming to help. You know, I think people yeah, with dogs know their restaurants they go to and, you know. And I, I worry a little bit. It opens a bit of a floodgate. Um that if a dog is allowed, then is my cat allowed? And if my it cat specifically allowed, says that it says no cats, <laughs> just right. dogs. Yeah. So that's, uh, you know, when I worked for one of the dinner theaters, um, we had a pig act in the show, the yeah. racing piglets. Mm -hmm. um, and they could not be housed on the same property because it was a health code violation. So they were oh, trailered in every day. Uh, they, do, oh. they did not have housing on the same location because it was a health code violation. Uh, How interesting, because you had buffalo and horses and other animals. So yeah, not in the food area at all. Correct. So, yeah, totally yeah. separate locations. But uh, specifically, swine was uh, not to be housed on the same area as a, a commercial kitchen. So um, I don't know exactly the regulations behind that. So shout out to servers. This is a pet peeve of mine. I should have saved this for the pet peeve. <laughs> they go pet these dogs or they'll bring their water bowl to them or that kind of thing, which we've talked about extensively on this podcast. Yes. And then I don't see them like you'll see them then bringing a tray of food out. And I need like, and I have animals. I'm not a hand washer, but yeah. I do expect in those scenarios to really be fastidious about because again best practices they're not asking for any documentation any any uh vet records anything like that vaccines so yeah i see it often they want to pet the dogs and play with them the restaurant should say you know what you're here working it's just not the time to to cuddle with the dogs you could say right. hi to them and but don't touch them you know so that yeah. that kind of bothers me 
So interesting. Yeah. And that's then, a, yeah. In other I'll news, look more into that. This was really interesting. There was a study on hoarding, and it was really relative more to people, and I think even seniors, right? Because they find some of these folks in just horrible conditions. But it it moved into pets. And the study found it was it was funded by the National Institute Institutes of Health, and okay. it was published in the Journal of the AVMA, American Veterinary Medical Association. So, a credible study that if you had eight animals or more, the health of the animal declined tremendously. Wow. Okay. The the overall care of the animals, and it doesn't surprise me. And I'm actually. Kind of glad to see the study because I think this is important because once in a while I'll get a client or somebody and or someone will call me. One woman had seven dogs. We live in very, very urban area. I just don't see the point of that. And she also said they're completely unruly. So that bothered me. But yeah, I I think you got to be careful. And you and I have both seen rescues and people with big hearts with horses. This is also very predominant. Huge. Taking in more than you can take care of. And it is a dilemma and we lose sleep over it at night that animals aren't taken care of, but you can't solve it by yourself. And now a study actually says that if you have eight more than eight animals, chances are you're not going to be able to do the right thing by them and their for their health, their well-being, best practices. Yeah, there's a tipping point of your your resources. Um, yeah. you know, if you have one dog, okay, maybe getting a second one is not that much of an addition, but getting the third and the fourth and the fifth, suddenly it's going to get on top of you and become overwhelming. So, yeah, this is a concern you and I both have because we see it with horses as well. And, uh, just taking the best care of the animals you can, and we just can't do it all. Of course. Yeah. You have to know your limits. Yeah. And, you know, that leads us into our main topic today and our guest who actually runs a shelter and um, probably could speak to a lot of this as well. So I'm excited to have her on. I'm Heidi and this is Tommy and we are providing some doggone good information. At least we hope so. Stay with us as we join Jessica Cook from Yuppie Puppies. So I'd like to welcome our guest to the podcast, Jessica Cook. Welcome, Jessica. Hi, thanks for having me. We're, we're delighted to have you. We're enjoying having some guests on at this point. And wow, you've got quite a uh, quite a resume. Your, uh, what you're doing is amazing. Why don't you tell the folks the type of business you're in? And you've got a quite expansive business, but tell sure. us about that. So I own the Yuppie Puppy Pet Spa, which is a holistic approach to pet hotel, boarding, daycare, and training. Um, We've been in business 20 years. We have two locations. And then I'm also the director of my nonprofit, Yuppie Puppies Forever Rescue. Wow. Okay. So yeah, you're busy grooming, boarding, training, all of that within your um, spas, I take it? Yes. Okay, great. And Tommy, this was a guest that you suggested. I don't know if yeah. you would matter if you had uh, heard about Jessica. Tell me. So we actually met through horse training. 
Oh, okay. Yeah. So a friend of mine, Lindsay Cross, is a dressage trainer up in uh, near St. Louis. Um, and she is Jessica's trainer. And so that's how we all got to, to meet together. Gotcha. Um, and I thought you'd be a great fit to come on and talk to us about uh, dogs. Well, yeah. You're having me. Yeah. Jessica, we talk a lot on this podcast. We like to think our podcast um, fills an open space by providing more authentic information. You know, there's a lot of emotion around animals in today's uh, climate. And it's not always in the best interest of the animals. So that's kind of the premise of where we start. I'm, I'm intrigued because you have you do two sides of it. In In my experience, the folks who are the groomers and the trainers, um, and then you have the rescues, right? You kind of bring that all together. What's your approach or philosophy about the animal, the animal or pet world, I should say, and then from there, your specific business? Sure. So it's it's evolved um, within the last twenty years. Um, you know, when I first started grooming and was a vet tech people would drop their dog off to the groomers, do whatever, shave it down. And it has evolved to, I'm just going to go grab a cup of coffee and I'm going to pick up my dog and I want to have a pink tail and all these things. (laughs) And so um, the dogs have become more humanized um, in the, in the pet owners and, and that's a good thing and a bad thing. Um, And so that's kind of what over the years um, seeing um, people really truly love their dogs, but they were um, not providing the needs and being the best owner that they, they wanted to be, but they didn't know how by over, um, you know, I don't know why my dog is chewing everything up. I buy him a new toy every day and yeah. <laughs> all the little, <laughs> the little behaviors that, um, you know, were actually causing detrimental behaviors. And in Missouri, we have so many dogs in need. We're number one in puppy mills. There's a crisis in the rescue world. So I wanted to use my pink shiny professional spa you know where people come and can get all the luxury for their pets and incorporate that with hey we're going to take this dog that somebody discarded in the shelter and we're going to turn them into a yuppie puppy by providing the training and the daycare and and you know and then when people come in and our trainers and our groomers have this dog that needs a home that was once discarded and now is acting like a perfect client, it really has opened their eyes to, you know what, maybe shelter dogs aren't that bad. Yeah. Awesome. So are you, you're doing, you have the spa Mm -hmm. and then is the rescue housed separately? Is that, or do you foster out your rescues? What's your scenario with the rescue? Sure. So our rescue, we have about um, 50 dogs at a time. They go to my O'Fallon location. Um, That's where they become fully vetted. We have a vet actually that's um, in our building. So any medical needs are assessed first. We call that our intake or decompression period just to kind of observe, let them, um, you know, sniff around and do all the things. We don't go straight to work with this dog's getting adopted now because we want to know what best fit is going to be for that dog. Um, and then they get transferred to our Caldova location and they're mixed in with our guests. So we, um, 
we provide grooming they that and that's part of you know okay does this dog like his nails done let's yeah out. what do we Assessment. need to work um they all go through some type of training program and whether it's an older dog and we just need to work on you know let's see how they are next to eating their food or is this can this dog tolerate a child so and then the young puppies they they go straight to work on all kinds of obedience manners and leash manners and um just turning them into a, a very much adaptable dog then awesome that's excellent uh, yeah tell me go ahead sorry so with that program then do you offer continuing education for the dogs and for the owners you have training classes and that kind of thing Yes. So our adoption process is quite different because so we when we take on a dog, they they never run out of time. They never run out of space. When we have an opening, we're committed to let's make that dog as good as it can be and um, find the right fit. So when people come in for um, a meet and greet, they fill out an application based on um, what are you look. We have a, a bio, you know, are you in an apartment? Do do you actually run now or do, are you wanting to run? <laughs> we, you know, or do you want a dog that just comes home? So they fill that out, not by a specific dog necessarily. We have like a, a, a dating profile pretty much. <laughs> and then if we have any dogs that, that meet that criteria, um, we let them meet about three of those dogs and if we don't have any then we say you know what we're going to keep this on file we'll keep looking but i'm sorry at this time we don't have any that meet your criteria um and then so they come several times um if they have other dogs in the home they're coming several times and then our trainers meet with them as well and then we also offer 50 percent off our services for life for training um to help uh, that transition period because a lot of times we hear you know two months in well he's starting this and we know you know, Mary was not doing that when we had her as a rescue. So let's figure out what environmental changes that you've done or cues that the dog unintentionally might be you be, you're doing that you, that they're picking up on. And let's let's get you in and and do that. And it's it's really helped our return rates less than three percent out of all of our dogs because we we do that um, matchmaking process and and continue that journey with them. That's, that's amazing. Really neat. Yeah, for yeah. sure. That's a I think that's statistic. something uh, something that's probably missing in a lot of uh, the rescue organizations and, and just generally is that infrastructure to support um, the, the before, during and after. Um, you know, I think there's a lot of uh, everybody wants the utopian perfect story of, oh, I went to the shelter and I got my dog and I rescued it. And it's now the perfect dog for me. But right. a lot of people really don't have the resources to make it the perfect dog. Yeah. Um, yeah. And it sounds like you're providing those resources uh, and ongoing for for these people to help make their dog the perfect dog for them. Yes. We, we, we don't um, sugarcoat any expectations of a certain dog. You know, we, we still have some, some of those dogs where I have one now, Sandy, that if you're an owner that is not going to be a little stern with her, play some games, provide all those mental stimulations, she's going to come to your house and tear it up and have a great time. So yeah. we make sure, you know, we hands on very much with the owner. I want you to go take her for a walk. See right here. Now you need to make 
sit and a rewarder for this. So we really want to set everybody up for success. And that is so true with rescue dogs. Everybody, some of them do have sad stories. And if we have a background that we know we share that, but we tell people, don't feel sorry for this rescue dog. They are safe. Today is a new awesome. And they they look to the future and you know, don't give them a steak as soon as you go home because they were eating out of trash or they were on the streets. Like, yeah, just set that structure and that that dog will become that perfect companion by having that structure and creating that bond with the owner and the dog. That's, I think you took the words right out of Heidi's mouth. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. I, I um, have a dog with me. He's actually, I'm home today. He's laying here next to me, Otis. He's a standard poodle. He came from a, a poodle rescue here in my area and was a hoarding situation. He was the big breeder daddy. Doesn't know a thing. Had no foundation training. My approach, and I'm a third generation trainer, is to say today's a new day. And I just had Clinton Anderson. If you do horses, then you probably know Clinton as well. He was on my other podcast and he, 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 Clinton, as we know, Clinton just puts it out there and doesn't worry about how he says it, but he says, you're just carrying around this big bag of shit, reminding them of their negative. Like we keep repeating their negative story. I always tell people when I'm training, you don't have to tell me the backstory. I'll be able to tell you more about it then you can, you know, because it's always, well, they've been abused in today's world, right? And let's face it, there are all kinds of abuse. Not caring for an animal could be abusive. They don't, you don't have to be punching on them to be abusive. But we we let them feed on that narrative. So I love what you just said that, you know, let, today I brought Otis home. I was like, today's a new day, buddy. It's a new story. And I'm not going to let you run around and feed on your anxiety. I'm going to get in your face and yeah. you know, eyes look at me and say, here we go. Let's make a new story. Let's yes. make this great. And I, when I go and transfer a dog into my rescue, I take their backstory with a grain of salt. Like, yes, yeah, yeah. I want to know that, but did somebody um, misinterpret what was going on? I find that a lot where this dog is reactive and well, let's talk about why it's reactive or what is it react or is it just excited or does it need to do some different things and, um, we have found that dogs that were labeled single dog only sometimes through proper introductions, slow, just observing, you know, it's, people think socialization now these days is I'm going to take them to a dog park. And we're like, <laughs> oh, you know, that is not socialization. That is, you know, sitting your dog by the trash truck. So it doesn't think it's a T-Rex when it comes by and explode. There's different textures and sounds. And if your dog, can calmly go through those things sometimes you do need to backstep and treat them like the beginning like they know nothing and then yeah. build them up to that and um we we tell people all the time when so our rule is for three days when you take one of our rescue dogs home that's three days with the people in the home or the people that we have introduced you, you that dog to already and then you're going to do the same thing anytime a new visitor comes in and we've had people that um d ignored all that through our process and they threw a party for their rescue dog and then yeah mabel exploded she was not the dog that we we thought we were adopting she was horrible and i'm like well what happened and 
they had all the neighborhood kids over and we're like, do you understand <laughs> that? So that was just way too much overstimulation oh at gosh. once. And yeah. <laughs> well, Tommy, as you probably are not surprised to hear, this is my new favorite person right here. <laughs> I Wait, thought what? this might work out. I, I, yeah. <laughs> um, you just, I think you're spot on and it's not that I have all the answers or Tommy, we're trying to put information out there, but as trainers, we certainly know, these things about we just our last uh podcast was about socialization and that the dog park is not what they mean by socialization that's anthropomorphizing right it means tommy used a good word education let's educate them and uh so love your points question um what type of breeds so my shelter here and a lot of the County run shelters and such are, are really full of bully breeds of bully crosses. Mm-hmm. Is that your experience too? Or do you try to be selective? I, I know this is a tough subject, but talk to us a little bit about the breeds and, and how you work your way through that. So I personally own two pit bull or bully breeds. I adore them and I advocate for them. Um, but if a potential adopter comes in and I hear little things like, do their jaws lock? Do they, I'm not going to adopt you a pit bull because you already are coming with the pre-notion of you're a little timid, you're a little scared. Yeah. So let's maybe have you hang out and do some walks or volunteer and do some things with the pit or a bully breed. But I don't think if you're already coming to that with, you know, are they going to eat my kids? Are they going to do that? Well, I can tell you, Currently in my rescue, I have, uh, they are harder to get adopted because there are so many in Missouri. Um, and, uh, I tell people all the time, they, they are, can be a terrier. So do we look at them the way people look at a Yorkie? They're doing the same type of drive, but they're smaller, cuter, fluffier. And, um, you know, just the way like a border collie is going to chase and uh, herd and do all those things. There are some hereditary behaviors that are going to be in those breeds, but here's the things if you are going to own them that you need to do to keep them mentally right. and physically stimulated. Um, but yeah, so we we're very cautious because I never want to give the breed a bad name. So I'm very guarded on, uh, you know, who's going to get one of those. And, um, but yeah, I'm a huge, I'm a huge advocate for them. And, uh, but I only take at my facility, I I only take on a dog that I'll transfer if I know I can better that dog. Um, because I don't want to take a dog out of a shelter environment already and bring it to another shelter environment where it's not conducive. So if, if a dog needs to be in a foster home, we don't foster base. So that would not be conducive for that dog to come to us. Um, so okay. if we can better the dog's life while we're, while we're doing it and then we'll take them on. Gotcha. Um, the question on my mind is, are you, um, What's your thought? And again, another tough question. There are shelters and there's the euthanasia. Like we have some dogs that are not adoptable. Mm-hmm. Is it better for them to live out, you know, a years or decade in a shelter or is euthanasia the right way? And I know this is a difficult question, yeah. but I think these are the things that I see online that people just vilify one way or the other. On yeah. And 
that we got to have these conversations yes. to do what's right for the animals. So yes. as a professional, how do you see that? Um, it is, it is very tough, but being in, like I said, Missouri is just overrun. Um, nobody wants to do it. And I hate that the government and shelters are vilified, but if a dog truly is going to put somebody at risk after a chance is given, I do think, unfortunately euthanizing for space just is is horrible and we have to change that with owner surrenders and spaying and neutering but one if a dog really is through a trainer has assessed they've worked with the dog and it's not going to have a great quality of life because sometimes just through genetics we don't know you know for that dog's background if there's uh, something wrong. So I do think those dogs should be youthly, um, euthanized or humanely euthanized because it, why have a caged animal that's miserable, that's causing stress that it, that energy around is also causing stress to the other dogs in the shelters. Um, but yeah, I, I don't like to use it. I would never condone euthanizing for space i i do yeah no i understand that but if i do think there are some some dogs that are just so dangerous um unfortunately and they should uh humanely be euthanized i think that's a big part of the story that uh is not put out there exactly what you just said there are some dogs there are some individuals that putting the resources into rehome rehabbing them or rehoming them just really is not something that we can do. And in those scenarios, it's okay to humanely euthanize. Mm -hmm. And I think that's something that's not stated by a lot of people in this industry. Um, And a lot of people, I think specifically in like the rescue world, um, you have a much more, I think, realistic view uh, of uh, the world in that way. Um, But there's a lot of narrative put out there of like, no, every dog is savable. And that's just not really true. I mean, I do a lot with horses and I feel the same way about horses. There are some horses that the time and the resources and the uh, danger to the humans, Mm -hmm. it's really just not worth that input. Mm -hmm. Um, So, yeah, if it comes to that point, and yes, exactly, you should evaluate them. A professional should be involved and check and see if there's something that can be done. Mm-hmm. But you get to a point where it's like, this is not a dog that can go live in a family home situation. Right. So. Yeah. 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 That's because the worst thing um, that could happen is say a dog like that, that is dangerous, that is a loose cannon that, you know, just has something and and you can try to tell potential adopters, okay, these are some triggers. That dog goes to a home, it attacks them, it harms a neighbor, it harms a dog, it harms a kid. Well, guess what? Now they're not going to talk about um, how they want to go rescue or save a dog. They're Mm -hmm. going to want to go to a breeder and they're going to have this negative, um, I tried to rescue a dog and it was horrible and it attacked me and, or, you know, whatever. And so, um, I'm really cautious with, we, I involve children in the home so much when, when we're adopting out a dog, because I want them 
to hear it from us, you know, in, in a in a nice childlike way, you know, like, hey, you know, you don't like when somebody just runs up and hugs you, do you? You're a little, you know, same thing. You wouldn't want to do that to your new friend. Um, because I want the future to be say, you know what? I grew up with this best rescue dog I ever had, and I'm going to continue to go to the shelter and get a new dog. Yeah. Do you uh do any training or consulting for other shelters? Has that been something you've done at all? Or you just sounds like you're you've got more than you have a need on your own plate, but <laughs> curious. I so many shelters reach out to me on Monday morning. My email and Facebook is full. They please take this dog. They all want one of their dogs to come into okay. my, into a spot. And and um and I do go to uh, a couple of the local shelters and help evaluate or me and my team will go there and same thing they'll say you know is this one we're on the fence what are you seeing what we're seeing or all of this stuff so we'll 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 go through there and have those conversations and get them out and help them assess them yeah and i'm thinking more of the training like the the your approach that and i'm the same way again i don't need the backstory but the first thing i'm going to go right at the foundation training after they've settled in a, a day or two and create a new story but you i always say you can teach an old dog new tricks and you must because they've got to have some structure and some so i think in like tommy and i our experience and thoughts are that while they are well intentioned uh the rescues they uh have a hard time really sometimes with the training and i love that you guys follow up because as we know we send them home and it, it could be two weeks or two months and if they're not consistent, that changes. So kudos to you. I, it's all fantastic. So in the training program, give us an idea. You get a rescue dog who's not got, you know, not overly personable, not seeming to be any kind of aggressive or bad dog. Where do you start? Is it, what's the beginning of your training program? If you don't mind telling us. Yeah. So what does that look like? Is it just kind of like a, like a dog that's kind of aloof? You don't really know what, what's going to happen. Yeah, I mean, just a dog that isn't overly problematic. You get them in the shelter and you want to get them rehomed. Where does your training, like, where does your training program start? So we get, so our first thing when we assess is to rule out kind of, um, treat reactivity food reactivity toy like i i need to know if this dog is because if we just get the dog out and it's you know fine on a leash and we need to work but like how are they in a room if you're you know we do the this is my toy i'm going to take it away i'm allowing you to play with it and that you need yeah. to if, if that is um so that's kind of step one like how are they when i can do that and then um, before any of the real training kind of starts is I'm a groomer too. So I like to get that dog in the bathtub. Does it go in the bathtub? Do I have to push it in the bathtub? How is it when I grab the feet, when I'm digging in the ears? So I like to do Perfect. like an all over just head to tail, you know, how are So, okay, they got some soreness on their hips or is that just they are sassy and we got to work on that, you know? Um and then basic, yeah. basic leash walking, um, healing, stopping, starting, go through the door, because that's probably the number one thing I would say is people, they want, um, they want a dog that's 
great to walk on a leash, but they don't want to put in any effort. So we we get the foundation for that and then yeah. let them do the bragging later. I rescued this great dog and it's like, well, that took about four to six weeks of getting that dog that way for you. So and please follow through with that. Otherwise, it's going to be the exact same way. Um, yeah. So just that calm um, sitting. We spend a lot of time with our rescues um, from four to six in the evening having that dog just sit or on a climb command, a place command while people are coming in and out and Mm -hmm. just rewarding for that dog, just sitting there observing all those things. Um, So that's a big part of it is just allowing their sensory overload to calmly have them sit there during all that stuff. So then when we take them to events, they know how to act like a well-behaved dog (laughs) during that event. Yeah, fantastic. And, and it's pretty much the plan I go through as well. I'm uh, huge on the walking and can't get enough of eyes on me, those kinds of things. Yeah. So um, just to back up, do you guys, Tommy or Jessica, know why Missouri has such an issue? Are there fighting rings in Missouri or is it just people love their pit bulls and they're breeding the worst of the breed or what's, do you know what, or I don't think you have a lot of Amish there. They usually get we do. in trouble. We actually do have a lot. We have a lot of Amish. So um, we have a ton of Amish and we're number one in puppy mills and it's due to, um, so the legislation where, where, where the bill, unfortunately, domestic um, animals are grouped in with livestock. And so uh, you can have 50 females pregnant um, and that's including uh, heifers and dogs. So until we get the livestock separated from the domestic dogs, because I have no problem if a farmer has 300 acres and wants 50 pregnant heifers, but I do have a problem with Joe Smith with 50 dogs in his basement that are pregnant and he can continue to pump them out. And until that gets separated, people are just treating dogs like a cash crop here. Do you know uh, in the state of Missouri, what are the regulations as far as housing for uh, breeding animals? Is, is there, are there regulations and is that it's something two clearly stated? in front of their face um, in a crate to be able to turn around and they just have to have a water bottle or fresh water. And that's pretty much it. Really? And so a lot of, um, so we have to be regulated with the Department of Ag at Yuppie Puppy and then for the rescue. Mm -hmm. And we do a lot of um, uh, talking with her and just, you know, how can we do this? And she's like, unfortunately, you know, they, they're not breaking any laws until the laws change that they can go out there a million times. And if dogs are in a crate and have a little bit of shelter and a fresh water something and are never touched, but they, you know, they're doing their thing that they're not going to, they're not breaking any laws. Unfortunately. We talk a lot about on this podcast because both Heidi and I have done a lot of entertainment um, with animals that there's a lot more regulation on animals that are displayed to the public. So there's, there's sort of this negative narrative around animals in the circus or animals in shows. But the reality is, is that those animals are highly regulated and have much uh, higher standards of care by the law 
versus animals in a breeding situation or in a private ownership situation where there's really not that many regulations or very minimal regulations like what you're saying is, you know, as long as the, the basic minimum of care is there, we're okay with it. Um, so yeah, that's a, an interesting dynamic there that we don't have those regulations for breeding animals. Yeah. Yeah. I truly believe if we separated the domestic from the farm, the livestock, it, we could probably get somewhere in it. And I, I know there's some advocates, um, that are trying to get that bill proposed at least. So yeah, it's just, and that, and that unfortunately is the people that are even licensed. So there's so many underground breeders or, you know, they're, they have three dogs and they're breeding and they're not on anybody's radar because nobody's calling them, but they keep posting on marketplace, you know, puppies for sale or uh-huh. it's just, it's just continual. So let's say somebody is looking to get a dog um, and that they do want a purebred dog. They're, they're not interested in, in a mutt or they, you know, they have some reasoning why they want to go to a breeder. What would be the process or what would be the best way to find a good breeder? Uh, one that you hopefully is USDA regulated. So hopefully is, uh, doing the best job, the best practices with their animals. What do you look for? How do you find that? Is there a, a way to, to go about doing that in the best way? Absolutely. Um, I can tell you, I have come across about every purebred dog that somebody doesn't want to in rescue. So I I would say um, start that venture first and don't be in a hurry. If you look and you put out feelers, I currently have a six month old Bernie's mountain dog puppy that has papers that was too much for their 70 year old owner. I have an AKC show quality, um, uh, English bulldog because he doesn't like their kid now. Um, and then, I, you know, I've got uh, the stories like that go on and on and on. So sure. reach out to rescues first. However, um, if you're looking for, you know, you're like, I want, like I do one day want a, a petite, uh, Brackabon of, of, of a smooth coated Brussels Griffin. And so okay. I've done, I found a breeder in, <laughs> in California and it's one of those, she wouldn't, um, even, uh, sell a dog to me because I had children because she's like, these dogs are not good with children. So I Interesting. loved that. Um, you know, and I'm like one day when my kids are gone, I might, yeah. I might actually get one of these. Um, so, and knowing about that, I actually had another client that one, she wanted a Neapolitan Mastiff and same thing. That breeder was like, they are, um, still too kind of not domesticated. It's a very old breed. And if you have a toddler on the floor, it's not going to go well. So he did not sell her one of those because he was, you know, wanting, um, a true person who had expectations of this breed for there. Um, and if there's any breeder that is like, yep, in the fall, I'm going to have this litter and I'll put your name on the list without vetting you or anything. That's a red flag. Not, um, you definitely want to ask, you know, how, how long have you been doing this? Can I see the mom? Can I see the health records? Can I, cause it's not just about, 
um, you know, getting on that waiting list either. A true breeder would breed to benefit, to better the breed. They would stop that bloodline immediately if there was any type of heart murmur uh, issues, thyroid, like anything. And, um, and a lot of times they would then fix a spare neuter that mom or dad or that bloodline. And then those would be uh, usually sold to at a place. So I would definitely, um, yeah, just do your background. A lot of them won't ship. They're not going to meet you in a Walmart parking lot. They're, you're going to have <laughs> to go to their house. It, it's going to be a long process if it comes from a, a true good, great breeder because they want to know where their puppies are going, what's going to happen. There's going to be a contract, um, most likely, that you're either going to uh, have to spay or neuter that dog at a certain age or you are going to have to... Um, whelp a litter and then they get a pick there's there's different definitely different than just going and buying a dog from somewhere then you know that's not a reputable breeder right yeah i've told the story a couple yeah. times about my dog uh jimmy dean who i lived with jimmy dean always makes the podcast i gotta work him in you know um uh, but i lived with the breeder when i was in kentucky for several years and i knew uh when i was living there i knew both of his parents so uh, when, when I was offered him to take home, I knew exactly what I was getting. Um, and I knew exactly how he was raised. I knew exactly what his parents were. Um, so I had that benefit. Not everybody gets that benefit, obviously. Um, but I'm, I'm very lucky in that sense. Yeah. I think exactly what you're saying is really do your research and look at the breeder that you're interested in. Um, and if they're not asking for more information, they're probably not uh, that reputable. They're just in it for the money. Yeah. And and I tell, so Missouri is, is once again, horrible. And people say, well, I, these, these golden doodles that I bought, you know, down by the Ozarks, they're raised in the home. And I get on Google Earth and get on the Department of Ag site. And I'm like, well, here's the shed that you can see that is all around. And, um, you know, because they ended up meeting them somewhere. And I'm like, and here are all their Department of Ag stats. You know, they had puppies with coccidia. They had this. They've been dinged so many times. And so many people People don't know that that public information is available, you know, if if they're not um, on, if they're not registered with the Department of Ag, then they're, you know, they're a backyard breeder, essentially. Um, mm -hmm. And then if they are, you can see past past uh, uh, inspections and feel comfortable or not comfortable. Yeah. Puppies come from where where exactly would they go to look for that information? The USD. Uh, DA website? I believe so. It's Department of Agriculture. There's, uh, there's, um, it'll say breeders in Missouri. It'll, it'll have reports. It's not that easy to difficult or to navigate, but there is a search bar and you can reach out. There's, um, you know, and, and they really do want that. My Department of Ag rep, Olivia, um, she, you know, if you have questions about any, breeder or anything and they'd be they're happy to talk about that because they they really want to make a difference in missouri too and get us off that list of number one for puppy mills yeah not what we want to be known for. no <laughs> that's for sure so our guest today has been jessica cook from the yuppie puppy uh and we're so glad that you were able to come in here and, t and talk to us today and share your information and your background 
Uh, is there anything else you want to uh, promote or tell us about with your businesses? Um, yeah. So if you're in O'Fallon or Caldwell, come see us. Um, we, we have tours anytime. I'm floating around between either location. I'd love to meet anybody. And if you are in the market for a new friend or just want to talk rescue, my uh, Yubby Puppies Forever Rescue, we can help match make your perfect friend. And my website is yuppiepuppiespa.com. Excellent. Well, thanks for being with us today. All right, thanks for having me. So Tommy, we're up to our favorite segment, at least mine, pet peeves and training tips. So you get to do our pet peeve this week. So what do you got for yes. us? Yes. So my pet peeve is when uh, owners or people call their animal uh, stupid or mm-hmm. refer to their animal in some sort of derogatory way. And this actually kind of goes along the way of the anthropomorphizing idea that we've talked a lot about on this podcast. Um, but most often when I hear it, it's they're blaming the dog for being a dog or they're blaming the horse for being a horse. Um, you know, they're blaming the, uh, Jack Russell Terrier for chasing the squirrel. They're blaming the, um, you know, herding breed for chasing or herding up the family. Um, you know, they're just, they're not stupid. They're not bad. They're being a dog. They're doing their natural behaviors. And so I think what it boils down to a lot is that people really don't understand the natural behaviors of these animals that are in our care. So if you're going to have an animal, you need to take some time and educate yourself about what the natural behaviors of these animals are going to be. Um, and then work on how to educate your animal and train them so that you can help curb some of those unwanted behaviors and encourage some of the behaviors that you do want. Yeah, but well said. And Jessica talked a little bit about that, too, that, you know, they come with some behaviors and some inherent from their breeding mm-hmm. and we have to work on that and then. But it's a lifetime commitment to work on it. Yeah. At least the at least the first half of their life for sure. You for might sure. be able to skate a little beyond that, but you gotta form that behavior. Yeah. Um, I tell a lot of my training clients, uh, you are creating the animal that you want for a year from now. So yeah. you're you have to put the work in now, take your time and and do the foundation and put in the education so that in a year from now you can do it with a lot less um, and a lot more relaxed. Yeah, and it, that was a uh, I, I think I mentioned this in one of the last podcasts that I came across a very succinct quote that was uh, dog training is hard. The consequences of not training your dog are much harder. Absolutely. So, Tommy, I don't know if I ever told you this, but my father had a huge issue with that. With um, So I appreciate your pet peeve. If we were working with a horse and we did a lot of horse training for exhibitions and stuff, and the horse was getting the better of us or the horse was being a, a pill or whatever, and we would say, damn you, you stupid horse or something. We didn't do it often because after one time, my dad would walk in the ring, take the whips out of our hand or take us off the horse Uh and make us go think about it. Absolutely. 
where he was coming from on that was it's never the animal's fault. And if you, as the human, can't figure this out, then you need to step out because they that's what it's all about. If you have a smart animal and they're outsmarting you, that's on you or they're misbehaving and you can't keep your wits about you, circle back around and find a solution that's on you. Yeah. There's another saying along those lines where uh, frustration begins where knowledge ends. Knowledge ends. This is our training tip for the week. And again, we're, we're combining this with our listener and viewer questions. And it always aligns, not surprisingly, with my clients during the week as well. This is about uh, the proper collars, harnesses. I get those questions all the time. I am not a fan of a harness. I tell people, get a skateboard and enjoy the ride because they're going to pull you. The way I will use a harness is with a dog I'm not sure about who may try to wiggle out of their collar. I will run, I will put the, the, the collar on the dog with a leash, but I'll run the leash under the harness. So when I pull yeah. on the leash, it's still impacting the collar, but they can't get the collar over their head. And sure. um, there, I, I even see some on the market now. I always think I'm going to make one of those. So <laughs> you have to use the appropriate tools for the job as any job. So a flat collar, what they call a flat collar, which is just the webbing or leather collar a dog would normally have, should have their ID and stuff, their rabies. If your dog is good, you're hooking into that and you're going off for your walks. And uh, if not, then you need to think about your equipment. I love what's called a head collar or gentle leader. It figurates over their nose, comes up under, mine actually comes up back here and you have your leash but you have more control of their head, which I love because we do that with horses. But I don't want a yeah. horse to look at the squirrel over there. I'm going to tip his head towards me. But yeah, with dogs, yep. we don't do that. So, and then a prong collar. And there's a lot of information out there about prong collars, love and hate them and such. If I can't walk a dog with one hand and give a check and release, I've got the wrong equipment. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's, that's the way I approach it. And then there are e-collars as well. I personally don't use them. I am studying them and I think there's a, a really good and proper use for them. I just have not used them and I get the job done, but, but I'm always willing to learn. So the e-collar I find interesting, but that was a question I got, uh, via email this week was about why do I not like harnesses? Somebody had read that. Yeah. And they just, they allow pulling and strongest part of their body. So enjoy yeah. the ride, get a skateboard. You're harnessing their center of gravity. Yeah. Uh, and you lose the leverage. Yeah. Yeah. So, and get their eyes all the time. You know, you got to have them look Absolutely. up at you. Stop yeah. and get, get in their brain folks. All right. Sure. Tommy, been a great episode of a little bit of technical trouble, but it should, uh, a lot of great information in here. And as always, thank you for being a part of the podcast. Yes, thank you. This has been wonderful. And we hope you guys will subscribe, rate and review us. 
And also be sure and share this information. We're doing this to hopefully help educate others and ignite some conversations about dog training. Thank you for joining us. And we hope you got some doggone good information. <laughs>